Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Prove Me Wrong, Please. My name is Connor, and I'm excited to share today's episode with you because it covers a topic that I have always been interested in and was able to discuss in greater detail with an old friend who knows a lot more than I do. Now, I'll admit, it's hard for me to talk about religion in general because I have many people close to me who are very religious and would likely disagree with a lot of my views, let alone just the title of this episode. But religion to me is sort of the elephant in the room when it comes to discussing the underlying problem in a lot of current political issues, and to ignore it entirely would seem like kind of a cop-out. Also, the purpose of my podcast is to talk about these often uncomfortable issues with folks whose opinions vary significantly from mine, because I believe that just sweeping these issues under the rug or choosing to vent our frustration strictly through social media isn't really solving anything. So I was super excited when my friend Chris agreed to come on and talk about his experience and views on religion and its role in politics. Chris was the house director of my fraternity when I was in college, during which he was pursuing his master's degree at the university's School of Theology. He has since worked as both a pastor and a professor of religion in Alabama and Georgia, and he is the author of numerous books, which you can find on his website, scolarischristianbooks.com. Needless to say, Chris is far more knowledgeable on the topic of religion, and he is living proof that the term religious intellectual is not an oxymoron. So I was eager to vent my grievances with him and explore the nuances of our disagreements in more detail. Now, while we certainly did not agree on everything, I found, as I often do when talking with those of opposing views, that there was much more common ground between us than I initially expected. Now, in times of heightened animosity and division like the one we're currently in, I think it's important to highlight these common views that facilitate camaraderie and encourage us to better love thy neighbor. Shout out Jesus. I was not sure what exactly our conversation would entail when we began, as we never really got into deep political conversations back in the day, but my expectation of an enlightening conversation about the role of religion definitely came true, and as a result, I think I came away with a somewhat more optimistic view about what the future role of religion in the US could potentially be, as I expect you will too. Now, before I drop you into the episode, I will note that our conversation lasted over an hour and a half, so I decided to break it into two episodes. The second half of our conversation will be uploaded next week, so be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for that riveting conclusion, but actually, to our conversation. Anyways, sorry for being so long-winded here, but without further ado, please enjoy this discussion about why I think religion is an obstacle to political progress. And as always, I encourage you to prove me wrong, please. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, I mean, you've listened to previous episodes, so you're relatively familiar with, I guess, like what I'm trying to do here. But basically, I mean, the point of the podcast, despite the aggressive title, is more so just to have you know, friendly conversations with people that I would imagine I disagree with on a variety of topics related to politics. But I want to talk to you, especially because religion has always been a bit of like a fascination for me. I mean, at Emory, for example, like I, I took a philosophy of religion class, uh, a few Buddhism classes. And I mean, outside of school, I've always just been like very interested in religion in general. Um, And so I would, I mean, was relishing the opportunity to talk to someone like you, who I, I know uh, who obviously knows plenty more about the subject. Um, 
And I just genuinely want to hear about your experience because I mean, what it's been six years since I last, at least since I last saw you. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a minute, dude. Um, but yeah, I, uh, and, and I didn't mention this, but I, I, I teach world religions at a small community college in Alabama. So I've got a, I would say I've got a, a kind of a working general knowledge of a lot of the world's religions. certainly nothing as complicated as my understanding of Christianity, just cause I've kind of been involved with that in a little bit of a different way. Um, but yeah, it's religion, something, and that's my connection to it. I, I grew up in a religious home, I guess you would say. I mean, we went to church and stuff, uh, but I was fascinated with it and, and kind of the intellectual fascination with it's really what drove me to it more so than like a particular, like what people might describe as like a spiritual or religious experience. I, I was just fascinated with the way that religion has been so prevalent for so long and in so many different places. Um, which I think is, is really significant. So, um, but I, I, you know, I grew up in a religious environment. Uh, one thing that, and I don't know which, what direction this will go, um, what you want to talk about, but I, to, to be, one, to, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, well, I was just going to say, to be honest, man, like I have so many questions that I have li- like written down here that it's almost overwhelming. And I'd rather just like kind of talk and just see where it goes instead of like trying to d- direct it in any one direction. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Well, one thing that I think is really important about my experience that I think is somewhat unique. Uh, I, I grew up in a, an, an evangelical home. Um, we went to a, an evangelical church, a Baptist church and my family, I think would definitely, you could definitely describe them in that vein. Um, but my, my mother always, prioritized education and that was a huge thing for her and so not only did like she sent me to whatever school she could get me into that had like the best reputation um scholastically i guess mm-hmm. um and so one thing that i think is really important and is a huge problem with a lot of religious groups and particularly evangelicalism right now um is that separation between education and religion and I didn't experience that, I guess. Um, just the way that I was was brought up in the places that I went, I never saw the two in opposition. And I think certainly within American Christianity, there's a very strong tension between religion and like secular education. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem. Uh, I think it's a huge part of the problem. And I didn't realize what a gift it was that I didn't experience that um, because it would have been very easy given my religious background to have fallen into that, you know, liberal education is the devil and all that stuff. And, and that never happened to me. And on, you know, as an adult now seeing how destructive that kind of mentality can be um, I think that's a huge, that's something that I personally hope to contribute to undoing in some small way because i think it's it's detrimental to to religious communities and it's certainly not helpful to society at large to have that kind of antagonism between religious groups and like knowledge (laughs) and intelligence so Um, but like do you think that's something that is specific to evangelicalism or evangelicals or just like religion as a whole because in my mind i think 
like I don't know if faith in general is compatible with science because I mean, to me, and maybe this is over generalizing it, like faith is the intentional suspension of like rational thinking. And so when I, when I look at some of like the biggest problems out there, climate change being one of them, it seems like religion as a whole is, is honestly like an impediment to actually acknowledging it because there's so many people who believe that like, you know, the earth is what, 6,000 years old or whatever, or that there's going to be a rapture, Jesus is coming back. So everything is out of our hands anyways. There's no point in addressing these bigger issues. Like what, what are your, what's your take on, on that? Yeah. I, a couple of things. One, historically, if you, you know, and, and I'm, I'm also going to speak generally, um, but historically, I think there's a pretty strong intellectual vein within religions in general. Um, you know, early, you know, the libraries in Baghdad and things, um, yeah. Muslim preservation of Aristotle, uh, cathedral schools and universities and stuff like that. The, the hostility between science or um, just intellectualism in general and religion hasn't always been there. I don't think it's necessary. I know within American Christianity, it's a largely a product of the early 20th century um, that, in particular the 1920s, you have a, the rise of fundamentalism, which was just, uh, I think, well-intended, but had a lot of negative consequences um, long-term. And his fundamentalism isn't as relevant today in its kind of pure form within Christianity, but it's definitely kind of has its children out there. And like Southern Baptists and things like that have really embraced that. And I would argue that that was as much an opposition to changing, um, you know, sexual norms, uh, the role of women, um, you know, the fact that it's all coming uh, to a head in the 1920s is not a coincidence. And like scopes and evolution and things were something that yeah. fundamentalists latched onto. So I, I do think that it's particularly relevant to American Christianity. But I would say and this may be getting at kind of what you were talking about with, with um, you know, suspending um, rational thought. I think that religious people, and one of the reasons you see religion at the center of so many horrible things, I think religious people are more susceptible to um, maybe manipulation is, is the word because they're beginning with a worldview that doesn't require the kind of measurable evidence that, other, you know, maybe non-religious people might require. Uh, so if your your starting point is something that you can't measure or verify, I think that makes you more susceptible to, you know, someone saying something that sounds good or feels good. It's not really necessary for me to go out and verify it or prove it. So I'm just going to accept it. Um, so I, I would say I agree to an extent that religion definitely has to it definitely starts from a point that makes it easy to manipulate. And for that reason, I think that education is all the more important, but I don't think that religion is just naturally opposed to, or at odds with rational thought. I, I think that, um, you know, there are things out there that maybe like bigger questions that defy, you know, empirical verification and that doesn't mean that we all answer those questions the same way um, or we all even entertain them. But I, I think that I don't have a problem or take an issue with someone 
maybe positing some type of something bigger, a bigger source or something. Yeah. And I certainly don't think that that justifies or, you know, necessarily results in rejecting what we can understand and what we can measure and, and see for ourselves. So, yeah. To your point about, you know, religion kind of in a way like hardwiring people into, you know, rejecting evidence or being more influenced by their beliefs as opposed to, you know, empirical data or whatever. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I just sort of feel that like, I mean, to your last comment about um, believing in things that there is no room for, for data, it like you know, from a historical perspective, it just, it seems like the the boundary has always just been like shifting or receding in a way. And, you know, the early gods were, you know, the moon and the sun because that was misunderstood. People didn't really know what it was. And then once we were, you know, we had people like Galileo who could actually uh, refute people like Copernicus and heliocentrism became a thing. And, and science, the modern age of science started to grow um, and give meaning to the stars. Um, then it was like, you know, beyond the stars is where, god or whatever lies and and now it's you know extended beyond like the universe and all the way back to the big bang i guess i just don't really see the benefit like like why why is not knowing a problem like why must there be like an answer to every sort of question uh, including like how it all began and like what comes after death yeah um i mean i think the short answer is there isn't a problem. I mean, I, I don't see that as a problem at all. Um, but I think that, I guess, religion, the way that I define religion, and and it's important to acknowledge. And you spent some time in in China, right? When yeah, yeah, like a year uh, so, and a half. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so you know, like religion in you know Asia versus Western, you know, Christianity, Judaism, you know, Islam you know, the, there's a lot of variety. Yeah. Um, but the one common feature that, that I think exists within every religious group that I've encountered is that there are things in the universe or things in our experience that we can't explain. And so religion kind of gives a framework to answering those things. And, and that's where I would draw the line um, between someone who's religious and not religious is in the way that you go about answering those questions. Cause I think that religion gives you a framework to answering those questions. Um, and as far as, is it necessary? I, no, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think that some people can be completely happy not having, you know, not, not knowing the answers. And there's also the possibility that as science progresses, like maybe we can get some of those answers. Um, but I, I think that religion at its best, it acknowledges what I think is, is I would almost describe it as like humility. And I realize that that word probably doesn't jive with a lot of people's experience of religion, but at its essence, religion is acknowledging something bigger, something that's beyond even human understanding, perhaps. And I think that's really valuable. I think it, it makes us realize that maybe we're not the greatest thing ever. We're not like the top of, you know, universal existence. And so I think that things like that are really, really valuable. Um, and that's yeah. not to say that everyone who isn't religious, you know, has a, you know, total self-centered view of the universe. But I think that religious people have a framework that reinforces the idea that 
there's something more important than you out there. Um, and I think for that reason, I, I think it can be very valuable when it's kept in check. The, the problem that I see is that it's one thing to, to take what I would consider a humble position of, I think there's something bigger than me out there. It, I may not be able to explain it. I may not even be capable of understanding it. And then to jump from that to here are the answers. Here is X, Y, and Z about how you, you know, go to be with the gods or whatever. And anyone who doesn't agree with this is, you know, a problem. Um, That that's when it jumps from the humility of accepting something bigger than you to the arrogance of, I figured out this thing that's bigger than me. And I think that religion runs that risk because by its nature, it's trying to explain those things. And in my opinion, there's some, some middle point there that can be really valuable in saying, I think there's something bigger than me out there. I'm at least open to the possibility and I want to try to understand it. But I also have to keep in mind that I only have the tools that I have as a human being. And if there is something bigger, you know, it makes sense that maybe I wouldn't be able to package that in a nice little box and then sell it to those who are willing to accept it and, you know, just damn everyone who doesn't. Um, so that, but that to me, like highlights the difference between like faith versus religion, because okay. I, I, I have no problem with faith. I mean, I, I guess I don't really have a problem with religion. I think people are entitled to believe whatever they want, especially because like, I think a lot of people gravitate towards religion in moments of strife. I mean, whether it be a personal problem or a health problem or just older people who are kind of you know, nearing the end of their life and they want to believe in something bigger. And I totally understand that drive. Um, and also personally speaking, growing, I grew up religious, uh, somewhat, I mean, um, Presbyterian, my parents made, made us go to church, uh, relatively often. I don't remember when I stopped believing in God, but it was pretty early on. I just kind of went along with it because I really enjoyed the the community service projects and the mission trips and the sense of community that the church provided. And I still acknowledge that. Um, but I, I never kind of like bought into the idea that my understanding of like humility, like you mentioned, or morality for that matter was rooted in my understanding of religion or, or just the Presbyterian faith. I mean, I think I could have slept through every single church service and still, understood that, you know, killing someone or stealing is bad. Um, and I'm not saying that's what you're you know, arguing for, but, um, I, I guess like religion to me, honestly, just seems more of like a manipulative tool, if not like a business selling an invisible product that is kind of distorting people's insecurities and, um, moments of strife. Like I mentioned for, their own benefit, whether it be for power or money. Um, and I, I don't want to bring up, you know, the prosperity gospel people like Joel Osteen, who I think are tarnishing religion in a way that, you know, has probably happened for, or has happened for forever, but it's just like way more obvious now, I guess I just don't still understand like why, um, like why must there be, like religion in general, why not just faith? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think one thing that I would say um, f- 
first off, there's it's not a coincidence that religion in some form has been around, you know, for as long as, you know, documented history, you know, that it's not that's not coincidental. Um, I, I think that religion, the valuable parts of religion, it, it packages things together that I think are really important. And maybe it's because it's been around so long and, and you know, people have worked with it and played with it or whatever. Um, you know, I always think of like, and I, I grew up in a, a Baptist church, so this is not something that I experienced firsthand, but I always think of like, um, like the, the Roman Catholic confession practice and not to say that like, that's, you know, has to happen or whatever, but if a human being does something that they're not, you know, they know is wrong or whatever, it is a good, healthy practice to, to get that out somehow. And I think religion, and, and that's an obvious example within Roman Catholicism, but, but most religions have some version of that where you're able to acknowledge that you've done something wrong and get some kind of closure to it. And I think that's one thing that religion has come along and, and you know, maybe it's institutionalized in a way that you can kind of come here and get that out and get it off. And, you know, that's one example of, of the, the things that religion packages together that you don't necessarily have to have religion to do, uh, but it is nonetheless, at least historically, provided the kind of arena in which that kind of stuff takes place. I also think that, um, you know, morals and ethics, every religion that I know of has some ethical teaching of some sort, some system of ethics. And to your point earlier, you don't need religion to know like you shouldn't kill people or you shouldn't, you know, do horrible things. Uh, but at its best, religion should be rooted in those ethics and teaching those ethics. And again, that's, that's something that kind of comes with the package of religion that I think is really, really valuable. And we haven't talked about this, but I would argue that you, if you wanted to take any ethical system you could place it within a religious framework, whether it was a traditional religion or some kind of cultural or civic religion, uh, which is a totally different ball game, but there's definitely an atmosphere um, in which ethics are born and instilled. And there, there's some basics like you don't, you know, kill the guy next to you that I think are, are pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, But you know, and I can, I can speak to, to Christian ethics a little more than the ethics of other religions, but like the, the idea of being selfless, like that's, that's not just embedded in the human experience. I don't think, I don't think that everyone's born saying I should care about the person next to me even more than I care about myself. And there are a lot of people who wouldn't even accept that as a, a viable ethical position. I happen to think it's a pretty good one. Uh, and I wish that, you know, more Christians would, you know, embody it. But um, I think that the, the, the ethics, the exercises, you know, going to church and regardless of, of who you're worshiping or what you're worshiping, um, having an atmosphere to be grateful to something for the, the goodness in your life, I think is, is really healthy. So I, I think that religion brings a lot of different things together again, that aren't really, you don't have to have religion to, to do all that, but historically religion has packaged those things together in ways that I don't think you could find in any other institution, at least not in the, the way that they all fit together. 
if that makes um, sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. It does make sense. Um, and actually it kind of segues to your book, which I read. Um, <laughs> you're a great writer, by the way. Um, thank you. Thank you. And I recommend anyone listening this uh, to this to check out your website. Uh, what is it? Scolaris.com? Scolaris Christian Books. Yeah. Okay. Dot com. Um, so yeah, I mean, this the book of John, I mean, that the one that I read, at least, uh, I think is interesting because, uh, and to read uh, one of your lines, the book of Jonah not only acknowledges humanity's tendency to disobey God, but it also explores a darker side of the human heart that refuses to extend love and mercy to them, to, to those whom we do not like. And so, I mean, this story and granted, like I, I'm not the best at like analyzing scripture and your, your um, study of it, but I feel like the story is all about um, God's forgiveness and just like living a life of uh, mercy and compassion um, which, I mean, not to transition to, to Trump, but I mean, I feel like it's kind of the elephant in the room and it's, it's, it seems like the qualities kind of talked about in this story are very much lacking in the person who just won 80% of the white evangelical vote for the last two elections. And so I guess it's hard for me to, to just take seriously the conviction of a lot of people specifically with within the white evangelical, you know, church in, in, in the United States, but just like religion as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious if you have any kind of like thoughts about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let me, let me say as far as one of the things that I'm trying to do with that book and with what we're publishing, I think that as, as you read that, I hope you probably got the sense that like this was designed for, primarily for people who are familiar with scripture. Like it wasn't, yeah. it's not something that I would hand to someone who, you know, doesn't believe and say, Hey, you know, come, you know, check out the Bible or something like that's, that's not the intent. And, and that's important because I think within churches, there's a lot of really just crap education. And if you were to ask most evangelicals, you know, what's the story of Jonah about, for example, you know, they'd say something about a whale and, you know, this guy got it wrong and God gave him another chance or whatever. Um, but the story is actually about a Jewish prophet who's like supposed to be, you know, the, the epitome of, you know, a godly person going to the absolute worst place in the world where people, you know, kill each other and, you know, are, are violent and, and awful and at the end of the story, they're the heroes. They're the ones who get it right. And the guy who's supposed to get it right gets it horribly wrong. And it's a level of compassion and mercy that the book is teaching us that God has for us that is very, very difficult for human beings to get at. Um, but but that's the the point. Like if if you were a, a Jewish person, it's it's controversial. I mean, if you read this, you know, in the ancient world, you know, it's, it's like saying, I think I used the example that it's like Billy Graham going to Moscow in the height of the cold war and, you know, telling, you know, the, the Soviets that God was going to destroy them. And in the end, the Soviets are the ones who get it right. And Billy Graham's left with, you know, egg on his face. Um, and like, that is so obvious that that message, if you are familiar with the language and the history and you do the work to actually you know, study a book the way it's intended to be studied. Yeah. Which to be fair, I'm, I'm not at all. No, 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 no. And, and, but the, the point is, I don't think many religious educators, pastors, certainly not lay people 
would read that book and come away with that message. And part of the yeah. problem is that, and it's, it's at its worst within evangelical Christianity right now is that they're not even understanding their own teachings. That's not to say that if they did, they would go out and, and live any differently. Um, but I think that that's, that, that would at least be a, an important attempt to make sure that they, you know, knew what was going on. Um, as far as like, and, and I, I, you know, the, the elephant in the room thing, um, I think that while, while you and I m- might have some disagreements on religion in general, I think when it comes to evangelical Christianity at present, uh, we're probably pretty have similar takes on it and um, not to assume anything about what you think about it, but given your question, um, I think evangelical Christianity right now in the Trump, I guess you call it the post Trump era, though. I don't know that we've quite moved on. Yeah. We'll um, see in four years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's one of the biggest problems, uh, biggest threats to religion and its viability moving forward because it is, um, aside from the, the absence and the hostility towards education, I think the way that Republican politics has worked its way into American Christianity and basically taken over is probably the, the, those two things are the biggest problems with American Christianity right now. And I would say without question, and I've, I've done some research on this, your average evangelical voter is primarily Republican, secondarily Christian, and they interpret their religion through their politics rather than the other way around. And- that, that, I'm glad you said that because that's actually what I was going to ask you because it seems as if uh, like their, their, their political motivations inform their faith as opposed to the other way around, which I think prior to maybe like the 1980s and you know, the moral majority Jerry Falwell movement, it was relatively separate. And obviously they were their own thing there. And over the last four, yeah, 40 years, we've seen their faith and specifically the evangelical community kind of like weaponized by the Republican party to a sense that like, they're more interested and informed by like cultural grievances than the actual teachings of Christ, which are essentially, and as I'm, I know I'm preaching the choir here, but like, you know, talking exactly about humility and empathy um, and caring for the poor and the sick, like exactly the kind of qualities that I don't think any rational person can argue Trump uh, displayed or has ever displayed throughout his life. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would say like, I, and it's so much more challenging right now. Like we'd had this conversation six years ago. This would be totally different. Um, But I do think that there are, I think religious communities, because they are traditions, they're around and they've been around, kind of like what we were talking about with the potential to be manipulated. I think that religious communities tend to gravitate more towards conservatism in like the pure sense, um, not like a partisan sense, but in the sense that they may be more hesitant to change. And I think that that is when you're a part of a tradition that has made you who you are, it's very difficult to want to change, um, change things within. And I think that they interpret 
you know, social change in the same, same way. Um, so I, I think that there's, you know, it doesn't surprise me, I guess, that a lot of religious people would gravitate towards more conservative policies in, in the slow progression sense. But, uh, and then when you have a party that at least claims that they champion conservative principles or whatever, I think that that's an easy partnership, I guess you might say. Um, but to your point, I mean, that's not what's on the table. I mean, that's, those are not the issues that people are concerned about. Um, in fact, I don't even know what they're voting for. I think they're afraid of socialism. I, I don't think anyone does. I mean, and, they didn't, they didn't even have a platform in this last election, the Republican party, that being not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that that's, and, and I've heard previous podcasts that you've done. And I think, you know, things like Fox news who have basically terrified people um, and particularly people who, uh, you know, might've lived through kind of the cold war era. Um, yeah. The idea that if, a Democrat gets elected, we're suddenly going to become the Soviet Union. Like, I think that they're just terrified that, that that's true. Um, and then they're kind of shaping their religion around that. Um, and, and this sort of comes back to like what I was, or what we were talking about earlier, like they're kind of hardwired into or maybe not just religion. I think anyone is very influenced by fear tactics. And I yes. think, you know, uh, the fear of, you know, living eternity in hell is not that, I mean, if you, if you're able to believe that, then why wouldn't you believe like a much more um, benign threat than, you know, turning into a socialist country or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I've I've never made that connection. So I'd have to to think about that a little bit. Um, I I think that even the concept of hell is, is not as, has historically not been as prevalent as it has been within American Christianity over the past 150 years or 200 years. Um, not to say that it wasn't there, but it, 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 well, and then you have like the, the awakenings and stuff. So it's definitely been a, a factor. Um, so, you know, yeah, there, there may be some truth to that, but, but I don't think that, um, I agree that fear is, is a huge factor in the way that people behave and act, the decisions that they make. And you've got to dispel that if, if we're going to progress as people, um, you know, there are things to be afraid of, but we, you don't want to be just consumed by fear all the time. And I think not being able to table that in your decision-making is a, a real, is going to pose a lot of problems. Um, but I, I don't know that that's unique to people who have religious beliefs that might instill that. Um, I, I think that I would take it more on the, on the vein of like, hell becomes very, very important within evangelical Christianity, because basically if you don't believe X, Y, and Z that we believe, then that's where you're going. And that is a huge driving force behind what they do um, globally, um, you know, how they interact with their their larger communities and stuff. And um, it plays more into the us versus them mentality that that they have um Mm -hmm. i I don't think that you'll find and and you said that you grew up presbyterian do do you which branch of the presbyterian church was it do you know oh dude i have have no idea okay well there's um 
there's a kind of like the Baptist. There's a, a real conservative branch, and then there's oh no, we are we are pretty liberal. In okay. fact, our okay. our pastor right, or our minister right now is gay. Okay, okay. So um, so it's PC USA is probably what it would have been. That was that's yeah, the more perhaps. um, but I w- I would be surprised if you went in and maybe you can refute this from your own experience, but I would be surprised if you went into a PC USA church today or um, an Episcopalian church or a, a moderate Baptist cooperative Baptist, something like that, and heard a lot of language about hell. That, that doesn't seem to me to be what yeah. they're reinforcing. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely not very prevalent within evangelicalism. Do you, um, do you, can I ask, do you believe in hell? I don't, I don't believe in kind of the literalist biblical reconstruction of an eternal lake of fire where people are damned forever. Um, I think that there could be consequences for the way we live our lives. Um, and if eternity is any, you know, reflects, you know, our, our lived experience, then I think that, yeah, I think that I would say that there will be consequences for behavior. Uh, but I don't think that's contingent upon you believing what you were predisposed to believe from the very start. Uh, I think that what people do matters. I think the way we behave matters. And I think sadly, oftentimes the way we behave, and I may be wrong about this, but I get the sense that there've been some pretty horrific actions by some pretty awful people that haven't really there were no consequences for it like they they were never justified um and so it it, i would say that i at least want to believe and i i it makes sense to me that there would be some type of eternal consequence for behavior but I, i don't think that that's like you believe this, which you're yeah. clearly in an environment where you're predisposed to believe it. And if you don't, then like your soul's going to be damned to hell forever. So um, like in your view, someone like me, who is, I, I don't know how I would define it. Agnostic atheist, probably closer to atheist um, who still, you know, intends to live a moral and just life with the idea that there are consequences, whether that be like karma, not really an afterlife, you would still see a, I guess, a place for me in, in heaven or whatever you imagine, even though I don't believe in God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at least from the Christian perspective, and again, I'm getting back to education here historically Christianity, if you read the Bible and you, you actually read it, you know, in its original and you understand the, the, the context, the whole story of heaven, it, it's called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And it's mm-hmm. the idea that at some point at the end of kind of human experience, God or, or Jesus is going to return and redeem the creation. And it's, it's not about like leaving the earth and floating up to be with God in the clouds. It's like we, God created this world it's gone wrong. We've, we've messed it up somehow. And, but, but God hasn't given up and eventually God's going to restore and redeem the creation. And that's, that's the whole creation. That's not like just the people who happen to be a member of XYZ church. 
it, it's the whole thing. And it's, it's, I see it as beyond like humanity. It's, it's the entire cosmos um, being put in its kind of perfected form. And that's, mm-hmm. that's why, you know, you mentioned like climate change and stuff like th- that's a no brainer to me. I don't understand why Christianity hasn't like gotten behind well, but, but I, but I kind of do, because for a lot of people, it means dispelling with the idea that uh, God is in control of everything and that, you know, people can't make the changes that we want to see happen. And I guess that's like my overall problem with religion in general is that because a lot of people take this very literal understanding of the Bible, where I think like something like 40% of Americans uh, believe that in creationism as opposed to evolution and that like if you if you genuinely believe that the earth is 6000 years old or whatever uh then why would you ever think that humans can cause something like climate change and so it's like that mentality that i think is the problem and it always seems to come back to religion and i point to the fact that something like 93% of scientists in the american scientist community or something are atheists um I could be, I could be a little bit off on that number, but definitely the overwhelming majority. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like it comes back to the, the problem of being hardwired to having a solution or a belief that is not founded on evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a problem. Yeah. And, and I would say that as far as the division between like the scientific community and the religious community, I think there's a historic explanation for that. Um, kind of post enlightenment, we basically separated the two, um, which had a lot of advantages. But but I think that for the last couple hundred years, at least, the two are in competition, or they see themselves in competition. So you basically got to pick one. And you can either be religious, or you can be, you know, intelligent in like the, the secular sense. And I think that that's a ridiculous dichotomy. But I think, I think you're you're a perfect example of like why that's not necessarily the case. Like you're intelligent and religious. Well, and, and it's not even. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's frustrating that that's not more prevalent. Um, thank you for the for that compliment, by the way. Yeah. Um, but but historically, that hasn't been the case. And, and I don't think the, the kind of common narrative is like people had religion before they had science and then science came along and basically disproved religion. And so the smart people got on board with, with science and you know, the, the dumb people decided to be religious. Um, I, I, one, I think that that discounts a lot of science that preceded kind of the enlightenment period. Um, I think like the Babylonians were doing some pretty amazing stuff, uh, you know, (laughs) well before, uh, you know, we were smart enough to build ships in Salem across the world. Um, mm. I say we as if I'm Spanish or Portuguese, but um, yeah. you make of that what you will. Uh, but I don't think that, I think that the separation between science and religion is mutually beneficial in a way that, that religious people get to play the victim and escape to this kind of you know, non-scientific world where they can believe whatever they want to believe and they don't have to have those beliefs challenged and more critical people can, can kind of do their experiments and just dismiss any um, kind of religious elements at play in, in the universe. And I, I, I'd have to like go back and like really think about how 
that separation happened, but I definitely think you can see a clear separation 1700s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s between science and religion that has just snowballed since. And I don't think it's just because we made scientific progress to the point that religion became, you know, no longer plausible. Um, I don't think that the ancient people were that, that dumb <laughs> as, as yeah. it's kind of implied. Um, so. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yes, you brought up like, you know, the 1700s. Um, so what percent of your old parishioners, because when you were a pastor, you said you were in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, right? Right. What percent of them, A, do you think have actually read the full Bible and B, believe that the United States is a Christian nation? I think a large percentage of my congregations would have done both of those things. Um, read read, read, read the whole Bible, you think, really? Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah I guess and, I shouldn't be surprised. It's Alabama. And, and, and keep in, yeah. And, and keep in mind, like, I'm in a pretty rural area, mm-hmm. and a large portion of our congregation was retirement age or older. So many of them, like, read the Bible every day, like, as their entertainment. So, um, you know, yeah, they, they probably skipped over some parts, maybe, but I would say that they probably have read the majority of the Bible anyway. Um, and at least while I was there, I always gravitated towards religious texts that are not as common, not as popular mm-hmm. for the the exact reason that I think a lot of people don't read them. Uh, so I'd say they have a pretty good grip on at least having read the vast majority of the Bible. Uh, I also think that they would have probably ascribed to some level of the idea that America is a Christian nation, but with some nuance, I don't think that they all would have gone full out. Like we're the new Israel kind of thing. Yeah. Have you uh, just random question? Have you ever read or looked into Thomas Jefferson's version of the Bible where he stripped out like all the miracle, I forgot what it's called, but all the miracles, the new Testament and and whatnot because like he was he has a, some famous quote about christianity being bad in some sense i guess uh john adams was anti-religion as was ben franklin like this i i don't know how this idea about america or the founding fathers being i'm well i do know i mean the puritans and everything like um but i'm i'm just curious like have you read any of his bible or early thoughts yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I think it's the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth or some, something to that effect. But it's yeah. basically, um, my understanding is he took the Bible, I think it was the New Testament, and like cut out the portions that were not compatible with like reason, mm-hmm. uh, science, and so forth. Um, I actually used to, I had a copy of it when I was in Atlanta, well, I'm back in Atlanta, but when I was up in Gainesville at a church and I'd bring it in. And one of the points I'd make is like, this makes you upset, right? That Jefferson cut all this stuff out. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have read the book of, you know, Habakkuk lately? And no one had, I'm like, basically you're doing the same thing. You're picking and choosing what you like and what you don't like. That's (laughs) a little bit of an aside. Um, That's a sermon I would listen to. (laughs) Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, the founding fathers, um, many of them uh, were definitely uh, not of a Christian persuasion in any kind of 
you know, traditional sense. I, I think that they ascribe to a certain level of, of deism that believed or at least acknowledged um, some kind of higher power. Um, but they, they weren't, you know, practicing Christians in the way that, that we would think of them um, or that, that a Christian today would think of them. Ben Franklin's fascinating as a Presbyterian congregationalist, uh, the way that he um, lived his life religiously. He basically would say, like, I love the ethics of the church, but as far as like the theology and trying to explain things that are unexplainable, like it's a waste of time and most of them were boring anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, so he's a really, really fascinating. See, that's awesome. I wish we had more of that mentality today. <laughs> um, I, I think that what happened and it's really interesting in the South because we do the same thing in the South after the civil war, but you have this civil religion that develops and it's very general, like even like the religious language, that we use in, in kind of the public sphere, um, you know, in God we trust or whatever, it's very general. It's very vague. It's not like, you know, in God we trust and in Jesus, we put our faith and, you know, we ascribe to the teachings of, you know, whatever church. I mean, it's Um, vague, but also it's not in Allah or Krishna we trust, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that reflects the, you know, kind of the makeup of a lot of those, you know, it's enlightenment language. Like it's the idea of a universal God creator, God to some extent, um, who's not terribly concerned with what's going on in our day to day. Um, and it's, it's, I would say it's intentionally general to encompass the people who would have been, operative in the Americas or or in North America, what would become the United States at the time. But because Christianity has been so prevalent, I think that they have almost like embedded their own religion into a very general uh, civil religion. Yeah. And they don't see the distinction between civil religion and their own, you know, Christian practice. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's where you get people saying, well, it says God and, you know, whatever. It does, the, doesn't never says God in the constitution. Well, which well, I, I think the majority of maybe not just Christians, but like Americans wouldn't know. Yeah. Does it, is it, um, and I'm, I teach American history, so I should know this, but the declaration of independence, uh, it, uh, it might, uh, it might say it in there. Okay. But not in the constitution. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, but if it does, it's, it's, it's what I would call a, a general, um, you know, kind of like in God, we trust and stuff yeah. like that. Like, um, I guess it depends on your perspective, how general that is. But, yeah. It's so um, weird because like, I mean, even a phrase like that in God, we trust, you know, it's on all of our bills, but like, I remember in had to have been like middle school when we were saying the pledge of allegiance i made the conscious decision to stop saying under god uh because i at the time and that's when i like on i mean early high school is when i started thinking a little thinking a little bit more like politically um and the whole issue of like separation of church and state probably like began with that like mentality of like why are we saying under god right now mm-hmm. um and it's just crazy to me that 
you know, the United States today is a much more religious country than we were in the past. And of all the developed countries around the world, we are by far the most religious. And I, I've seen this, you know, having lived in China, like you mentioned. Um, and I'm sure there are those, you know, who would point to China as an example of like why we need religion, you know, because if you don't have religion, then you have communism. Um, and I, I'm curious, like, what are your, what are your thoughts about this idea about uh, this? Yeah, I guess idea that the source of all the problems in today's society in, in the U S is directly a result of the um, growing number of young people specifically who are kind of moving away from religion and it's often kind of packaged in what I consider like dog whistles, like uh, lack of family values and things that I think kind of are targeted towards the homosexual or honestly like black community. But uh, mm -hmm. I, just generally speaking, like what, what are your thoughts about like those comments or arguments? Yeah. Well, one, and I want to mention this just because you, you brought up China and, and communism, I believe and, and you'd have to like look up the Pledge of Allegiance, but either I think the under God language comes in at some point during the Cold War, and the during the Cold War, the United States really goes all in on the civil religion mm -hmm. because religion is a way to distinguish basically the two worlds that existed: the communist world that didn't have religion. And the you know democratic world that did, yeah. um, so that didn't help um, in, in relation to, to that particular vein. Yeah. Um, as far as people like you know the we've the world's gone away from God or whatever. I mean, this may be a, a too simplistic, but I see it largely as a lot, like kind of old people who aren't happy with like the way that the world is changing. I, I don't think that anyone in any context and, and having read history, like I, I know this to be true. Every older generation thinks that the world's gone to hell by the time they get into old age. Um, so I, I don't think that, and, and I'll do the same thing. I mean, I'll be 70 years old, 75, 80 saying, man, back when, you know, in the 2020s, you know, we, you know, obeyed our parents and respected, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, it's sort of, so inevitable. yeah. So I don't really put a whole lot of stock in, into that. I think that that's just a way of reflecting a pretty human tendency. Um, the fact that they're using religious language to do it, I think speaks to the kind of what you were saying, the, um, the level that religion is operative in our country today. Um, but I don't think that, um, I think a lot of times people use religion and, and it's helpful to think like, if you took religion out of this, would they be doing the exact same thing just in a different way? And I think with that example, I mean, older people, and I'm not dogging old people again, like I'll do this when I'm that hey, age. Hey man, I, I believe that there should be a, uh, an age what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know how you're not allowed to allowed to vote until you're 18. I think there should be a cap. I think like once you're 80, like you, yeah, you got okay. no more skin in the game. You shouldn't be allowed to vote. <laughs> that's yeah. That's, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting thought. Um, but I, I would, I think that if you didn't have religion, yeah, those 80 year olds would still be complaining that the world's gone to hell. Yeah. They just yeah. have a different yeah. way of saying it. Um, 
I don't think there's any, you know, you look at the world and like the progress that's been made, like the world hasn't gone to hell. Like we've got problems just like every, everyone else, but you know, in a lot of ways we're, we're a better place than we were 50 years ago. Um, you know, hard to say right now, but. Well, I'm, no, no, I actually totally agree. I think something that a lot of young people specifically on the left, uh, take for granted is that like we are better off now than we have ever been uh, in a lot of different metrics granted it's hard to see that with the internet and there's a lot more information at our disposal but if you just look at like the big picture the number of people you know dying from starvation um, poverty even um, and like curable diseases whatnot like there is there's no argument that against the statement that we are better off now than we ever have been. Um, I, I don't think we should take that for granted necessarily. Um, Cause like there, I think the, the fight towards progress, there, there are always those on the opposing side who want to maintain the status quo because they are in positions of comfort or whatever, and they don't want to see their status diminish. And, it, right. and you mentioned the word progress and I, I still haven't, I don't know what I want to title this episode and I'll kind of decide after we're done talking, but in initially in my head, I thought about um, because the idea is to have like a pretty inflammatory title that mm-hmm. then I talk with someone like who, like you, who disagrees generally speaking. Um, and the title that I had in mind was religion is an obstacle to political progress because for the reasons I've mentioned, you know, uh, encouraging people to kind of disregard science with regards to like climate change or even nuclear proliferation um and and so yeah like it's yeah i i I guess i don't really have a point it's just like hard for me to um acknowledge like the benefits of a system that for me has always seemed uh to some extent to be politically motivated in the sense of like religion seems just like a way of controlling people in the same way that kind of government controls people, but in a completely different way. All right. Well, that entails the first half of my conversation with Chris. Like I said at the top, the second half will be included as next week's episode. Uh, so if you are not already subscribed, I encourage you to do so ASAP. Uh, I'm also open to feedback and I'm more than willing to include your thoughts and comments in future episodes. So feel free to email me at pmwp dot pod at gmail.com or you can call the number on my twitter profile at prove please and just leave me a voicemail to be included as well um otherwise thanks for listening and i will talk to you again next week cheers